1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sports Creative Fantasy Football Podcast. My name is Davis Maddock. I am joined today by Colin Drew. We are under a week for the NFL season actually starting. Uh, We're recording this on Friday. The NFL season starts with Leonard Fournette ruining the first showdown slate of the year on Thursday. Uh, And we all got to get our brains back in NFL mode because... Playing NFL DFS, it's a little bit more of an art than a science. Uh, you definitely need to be massaging things. You need to be adjusting on the fly. And honestly, just as much for us as for you guys, we are just going to kind of work through some strategy stuff for for NFL DFS for the upcoming season. We're going to go over some of the tools that we have in the Optimizer on Daily Roto, but also just you know, kind of just more general strategy stuff.
2: Yeah, and if, if you've been buying apes and punks, you've got – Huge bankrolls for the season. So definitely got to put those to good use. If you haven't, then you're like Davis and I. We got to grind, man. All these other people make a quarter million dollars selling JPEGs of apes with neon colors and grills. And but we're here. We got to grind with the people to make our bread.
1: We do. We have to. We got to grind. We got to be in there in the streets. Um, And we'll be doing. More GPP specific stuff on the show this year than last year because we are going to add a GPP element to the cast this year. We're going to do our, our the people were very much opposed to the elimination of the cash game lineup stuff. So what we're going to do, so we're going to do that as normal. We're going to be tilting all of that as normal, and then we're all going to enter in the red zone, which I think is the fifty dollar. Single entry on DK, and we're gonna do. We're gonna keep track of of profit, loss, and standings between the three of us there, and we'll be talking about, you know, what we did that was right, what we did that was wrong, and how unlucky we are to not be rich.
2: Yeah, and I know we've got a bunch of free and premium content over the next week. Um, next week we'll have a big free showdown strategy podcast with you, me, and Brian Jester from Occupy Fantasy. So today we're going to be going through the main slate, basically talk MME a little bit, how to use optimizer tools, talk process, but also talk some of the differences in contest types and single entry three max. And, you know, I I think really thinking about contests as far as like what contests are filled with DFS regs versus casual players, I think goes a long way towards separating how you may want to approach those different types of contests.
1: Yeah. And I guess the first place to start with is goals, right? And, and, Strategy like very macro strategy, which is like what contests are you entering and why? Yeah, so and I've done both. I've done uh load up an MME and make you know uh 300 uh double stacks with double bringbacks, I've done the single entry stuff, had literally no success in MME for NFL, and part of that is that I literally really only did it for a year. And that, you know, the the contest sizes are so insane. It's just, it's just whatever. And uh, that just was like, so frustrating for me, like to like, just not have sweats and to just see the red line go down. And so last year, I switched it up and I did not MME at all other than for Showdown and was just doing the $100 single entry, the $50 single entry um, on, on DraftKings and on FanDuel. The FanDuel has a really good $40 single entry. We don't talk about FanDuel that much because uh, it's not. people are more interested in DK content for whatever reason, but that is a good contest. And it's just, you know, it's easier to realize your equity. You know, some of those contests, you only have to beat like 850 other people to to bonk or whatever. And that is a strategy that suited me much better because I I still tend to play things relatively close to the projections. Like I'm not going into mme week one and you know stacking some shit bum team like with with one percent ownerships like it just i it's not what i'm particularly good at
2: yeah and i think um a lot of those points make sense definitely having your playbook as far as what contests and then overall an approach towards each of those specific contests is a good way to level set and for me what i'm going to do to start the year and i'll plan to stick with it, depending if I bonk, but I'm planning to MME on FanDuel and only on FanDuel. And the only exception to that would be possibly early slate on DraftKings or short slate on DraftKings. But um, yeah. I think that FanDuel in general goes undercovered in content because a lot of the industry does talk DraftKings, partially because they have access to the contest CSVs. So it's a little bit easy to articulate some content around that. Um, but I think because of that, some of the spots and the nuances to FanDuel go a little bit uncovered on a week-to-week basis. In addition to just macro strategy, they also have a cheaper price point. So you can usually MME 150 set in a big lottery style contest for 450 or $600. Yeah. Whereas in DK, a lot of times that might cost you 3 k or something. So I like the DraftKings single entry, three max formats a lot. They've got a lot of them, so you can get like twenty different, thirty different teams. You, you can
1: build, you can build yeah. five teams, ten teams, twenty teams, and put them in contests where you are realizing your equity more. And something I've done, getting lazy, is just making one main team and entering that in the hundred, in the fifty, in the twelve, in the five, right. And I think I will not be doing that this year. Um yeah. I will so be making different teams.
2: Those are those are kind of the contests I'll plan on attacking smaller field stuff on DK, the MME stuff on FanDuel. And then I'd like you, I'd diversify through the three maxes, even if it's just like a two v2 pivot, just to give a little bit more, um, a little bit more exposure there. And yeah, I don't know. It, it worked well last year, it was half a yard away from a million bucks on FanDuel, but hopefully we'll get that half yard this year. And then obviously showdown is definitely where I Degen a little bit more mme there, so I don't know. I feel pretty good. It's all pretty easy to manage from a workflow perspective, and um, hopefully, we'll have some tidbits we can share as we go through different buckets on the show.
1: Yeah, so I think probably the best and most proper tools to be constantly thinking about as you are, if you are doing mme, and this is even true for other gpp formats as well. But you, you, the the things you have to weigh, and this is like very rudimentary, is like projected ownership projected points and what that what that delta is and we call that delta leverage which is you know chance that a player ends up in the optimal lineup and you know the the percentage that that player is rostered and that that's like very basic and very elementary and it it also is not like one size fits all and that's where you know the art versus the science comes in it's like sometimes a negative leverage play is actually like the right play due to the context of the slate right like a
2: well, week week one or for your or your roster overall for sure. And that stuff, Andrew Barron, Hot Magic, who works with us, he's he's behind the scenes right now, cranking through all that. So he will have will have the leverage tools integrated into the optimizer this year. So you'll be able to see those probabilities of a player landing on the optimal line the, right next to the ownership. You'll even be able to optimize off that. And like you said you know, if you've got extremely low probability, high leverage options in a stack, like it's probably fine to take the negative leverage running back in that context, but um, those will help you frame that decision and also optimize off that if you choose or build groups um, to, you know, try to avoid too much bad chalk or good chalk in the, in the same lineups.
1: Yeah, and like, uh, you know, I'm kind of thinking about this, like, uh, like about like a, a poker book or something, Right, where they like lay out these scenarios to you. And it, it's kind of similar where like you can solve for the situation it, like holistically, not using the exact example. So, like the the poker workbook for this would be like Mike Davis for the Carolina Panthers, right? That first week he was 4K. No matter what his ownership percentage was, he was the right play, both both before lock and after lock. And the ways to create good, unique rosters after that were like. Play Derrick Henry on DraftKings over Alvin Kamara, right? Or play Tyreek Hill instead of Devonte Adams. That's actually a classic one that will repeat itself 10 times this season on the Sunday main slate, where Devonte Adams will project as insane chalk and project for like one and a half more PPR points than Tyreek Hill, and Tyreek Hill will be half the ownership. Like it's that, that is like a uh, color by numbers, like very easy DFS example.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, and like you said this the context of the overall lineup and trying to make sure that each lineup is plus ev more than the individual players and um there are other levels of that too just with correlations and i want to talk more when we get into specific contests but you know bring back stacks and things like that in certain types of contests like those interact with leverage calculations in a different way as well so um a lot of different layers too but a lot of that you know starts out i think with the foundation that both of us are operating from a principle that holding all else equal we want to correlate our lineups as much as possible um, both within stacking with the quarterbacks secondary pieces of those lineups as well as the overall game environments
1: yeah um so this is true both anecdotally and in like uh mining contest results so for me my best team last year was uh, a dak prescott double stack with Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham. Uh, that that insane Browns Cowboys game. That was my best team. That was my biggest score last season, paid, paid for my entire NFL season, which is something going into the season that I was like, I'm going to consciously do this. I'm going to play semi-suboptimal plays to get the the results that I want, which is the double stack with the quarterback and the double bring back. And that is basically the most frustrating way to build teams because you're going to be playing suboptimal plays at other spots because of the salary constraints. And, you know, NFL games are predictable, but they're, you know, they're just all sorts of things can happen in the middle of a game to make it go haywire. But by and large, I think it is kind of just accepted at this point that the combination of projected points and leverage is best spent um in you know high total high passing attempt games with double stacks and two players from the opposing team
2: definitely and i posted some data in the subscriber slack that we have like games with totals above 50 last year um 25 of those had five or more players in that game putting up 20 plus points on DraftKings, and uh like 40 percent of those had three players at the flex position so you know, some of those could just be full on onslaughts, like a QB triple stack, Mahomes triple stacked, definitely came through a couple times um, last year. But a lot of those are bring back situations and uh, just getting exposure to that overall game environment when it does go back and forth. Um, there's some pretty interesting learnings in there when to get down to like the team level as well. I guess one of the caveats I'd say is I, I think the double stack, bring it back. Like I've been talking about it for three years at least, if not four, and we've got content on the site up from that long ago, but it has become more pervasive in different circles and it's become more of a part of everyday, I guess, podcast shows. And so I actually think it's got to a point where it still makes a ton of sense in lower stake stuff, in large field stuff, but I actually think in reg-filled contests that people are starting to bring it back maybe a little bit too frequently. And I wanted some of your feedback initially on that take. And then I'll walk through like a specific example last year um, and see what you think.
1: So my thoughts are that actually in those contests that you're talking about the spy, the red zone, even like the thunderdome and stuff, because an 80th percentile result can result in a winning score because the point requirements are not as high the overstacking might actually give you better results because you you can have like a burned roster spot, like you can have a three thousand dollar wide receiver who gives you four points or whatever in a winning lineup in those contests. Whereas in the, the lotto's, right in the millimaker maker, the mini max, you know, you're you're up against a hundred thousand other entries. I think that you could even galaxy brain it out and say actually I might even want to be playing uncorrelated lineups there because. In all likelihood, the optimal lineup, the truly like the perfect lineup or whatever, is more likely to be uncorrelated. That that probably would just be the highest scoring player at every position, whether or not they played on the same team. Yeah,
2: I think if you look at the data, shout out to Leonie, they did a podcast. That it showed that the top like hundred lineups in the Millionaire Maker were still double stacked with the bring back to a higher percentage than the field is doing. So. Even in the lottos, it seems like that strategy was underutilized. Um, One of the examples I wanted to walk through from last year was the Chiefs-Jets game, because it was a game where Jamison Crowder was going to be out, and Denzel Mims, Braxton Berrios were both close to minimum priced. The Chiefs obviously had a 28-plus point team total there, and in that game, Mahomes threw for five touchdowns, but the punt receivers basically laid an egg, and In normal contests, I would like the the lottery style ones, like 20, 30% of the field brought it back with a jet in the the three max, like 153 max or the $400 juke, it was 80 to 90% of the field that were bringing it back. And so all of those lineups basically took not a zero, but a, a 10 point score used up one of the valuable wide receiver spots, extremely high ceiling position. And just a simple thing like the Mahomes triple stack instead of the double stack would have shipped all the money. But even just finding a subtle pivot at that flex wide receiver position off of Barrios or Mims changed the roster construction and overall allowed you to gain a lot of points in the field. So do you you feel like 80%, 80, 90% bringing it back? Like that seems pretty crazy, right?
1: Uh, Certainly 80 to 90% is overstating the amount of time that those guys would be required in a winning lineup. Even if you, even if you knew going into the slate, okay, Mahomes throws for 350 yards and five touchdowns, 90% of the time you don't have one of, of, uh, you know, Crowder, Barrios, Mims, recor- recording a score that makes it into something resembling an optimal lineup. So that is, that is too high.
2: Yeah. yeah. So I, I, that's something I'm planning to keep a close eye on this year. Um, if we get into some like week one slate examples, There's like one or two guys where I think that type of context could happen. And I think that could happen on a weekly basis. And so especially when you're playing against like when you're playing against people who don't consume content, then that's different. But when you're playing against people who are actively thinking about a lot of this, I think that is another level that I'm planning to think about this year.
1: Yeah. So I also think that helps to be team specific. So like the Jets last year, awful team to do the bring back, right? Because they just sucked and they ran the ball too much. Um, the Texans seem like a team like that this year where like the team against them is going to have this giant team total every week. And I don't, I, how many times is Nico Collins or Brandon cooks going to end up being a bring back? Like that, that would actually be a spot where I would be comfortable going like, okay, I'm going to do Trevor Lawrence, LaVisca Chenault and DJ shark, but I'm not, I'm going to not use a Texans player. And maybe I would do the correlations in a different way. Like maybe I would correlate a wide receiver and a tight end from a different game while they were playing that week, um, and, and do the correlation that way and not have it attached to a quarterback.
2: So within, within an optimizer, when when you're going through, you know, there's a lot of different settings out there, depending which optimizer platform you use, but most of them involve some variation of stacking, right? You can select number of players with a quarterback, maybe number of players from the opposing team with a quarterback, or you can go through and create individual groups. Um, what do you just, talk to the people at home, are you going through and creating groups for every quarterback with bringbacks? Are you using key boosts or are you using vanilla rules?
1: No, I'm using, I'm using, so when I was doing MME, I, I went, I created every group by hand. I didn't use the, I didn't use. So, so our optimizer has a way to force in the stacks without doing all that extra manual work where you can go okay every every quarterback is going to have two of his teammates and one teammate from the opposing team which if you're like crushed for time or you're just doing the mini max and you're just trying to play around i think is fine like I, i don't think that's bad but what i was doing was i was doing okay like kyler murray i want him to have two pass catchers and a bring back but like lamar i probably only want one of his teammates um you know josh allen i would want two of his teammates uh some, some courts also there are some quarterbacks who you literally do not want stacked. Uh, Cam Newton was that guy last year where Cam Newton put up a bunch of QB one scores and had eight passing touchdowns this whole season. Uh, the best ball bros are not going to want to hear this. I think Trey Lance might be one of those guys where Trey Lance can like comfortably get 25 points on DraftKings and not have any pass catcher on his team over 20, like pretty easily. So I think he might be one of those guys. So that's why, I make the rules by hand As I'd like, I last year wanted some exposure to Cam Newton in some of those slates and this, and this year, you know, Trey Lance, I think yeah. would be one of them.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think that makes sense. I'm making all of them by hand as well. And then either using groups or a key boost to account for the correlation on the bring back. So you could force a bring back for every quarterback, or you could just set it up in the optimizer and say, Hey, when you're using you know, Lamar, I want to boost the projections for receivers on the other team by 15% and just let the optimizer kind of ride there. I would also add, I think that's one of the reasons I was successful on FanDuel and MME was not forcing bringbacks necessarily. Correlation generally matters more on DraftKings. Makes,
1: yeah, the correlation is much weaker on FanDuel also, because of the lack of bonuses.
2: It also matters a lot more when pricing is really tight. And I would say just generally, DraftKings pricing is a little bit tighter. So, FanDuel, half PPR, less bonuses, softer pricing. I think the you still want correlations because it matters, but you don't have to force them to the same degree.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that is, I think that is accurate. And I guess, you know, this is, no one wants to hear this, but for single entry and three max stuff, I'm very much playing it by case by case, like Lamar, probably I would just do one of Marquise Brown or Mark Andrews, but like, so, so with Lamar, you would maybe only want one stack, but the double bring back, right? So like Ravens versus Steelers or whatever, and you think it sets up for a good, you want, you want Lamar to be your single entry guy. You could get away with playing Mark Andrews and then Juju and Claypool as like the double bring back, but only this single stack.
2: Yeah. Uh, and I, I did some analysis last off season. It was pretty helpful going into last season. And so I did it again this off and just trying to evaluate which types of quarterbacks you'd be looking to, you should be looking to double stack versus which types you should potentially look to single stack. Cause especially with like the rise of mobile quarterbacks, I think like understanding the archetype of the quarterbacks is important for creating a bunch of your rules. Um, Lamar was actually, was definitely one of the most challenging guys to figure out regardless of which site you were playing on. Cause it wasn't just that Lamar. I mean, he had high upside himself. It wasn't like, and it's all through, not all through the legs, but a lot of it is, but he also had like a pretty broad target distribution where Marquise Brown and Mark Andrews were like the guys you could kind of trust at different points in the season. But um, for the most part, his big games were scattered. So like he had 10, 20 plus point fantasy games, but nobody else on those weeks had more than two. So you didn't really know what you were going to get when you stacked Lamar. I think he ended up being like, despite a great season for fantasy he ended up having kind of like low utility from a dfs perspective as it relates to stacking
1: as it relates to stacking because you know so like that's like Like if he wins
2: qb by five points but you don't get to win wide receiver by 40 points like that's not quite as cool like when mahomes goes nuclear and tyreek or kelsey hangs like 50 at a position like that's just so much more valuable
1: yeah and it's not that you like uh it's not that like Lamar wouldn't make the optimal constructs. It's just that you'd be less likely to hit the wide receiver scores that exactly. you needed. Yeah. Whereas like, I mean, the guy I anticipate myself throwing the most dollar bills at this year is probably Matt Stafford. Like it just looks like he's set up to just go completely nuclear and it, no one cares about the player takes. Like, I just think, I just think Stafford is set up to, to crush. Yeah. He will add almost nothing with his rushing and their target tree should be very narrow he would be a guy that I would plan on double stacking always. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I think that's definitely right. Um, Like I could walk through some other team examples, but probably the most interesting ones to think about going into the season. And these were some of our favorite teams to talk about on our shows weekly, but Minnesota Vikings and the Tennessee Titans, because both cousins and Tannehill had big ceilings last year. They were both generally under owned on the average week as a lot of the field, if they were 10 point favorites or 14 point favorites, usually not 14, but seven to 10, you would see those weeks where Dalvin Cook or Derek Henry were going to be the highest on running back. And so you could pivot off of the chalk running back onto the passing game stack and just hope that the other team was able to keep the game script a little bit more competitive. Cousins actually was one of the best QBs to stack because it was always going to Jefferson and Thielen. Um, And Tannehill was kind of the same way. Like it was usually A.J. Brown, but Corey Davis had a little bit of a breakout season. And then you had some uh, tight end games mixed in there. But um, I think as you're looking at slates, one of the things you should actively be doing on a week-to-week basis is if there is a high-priced running back that's in a great spot, you need to give a hard look to the passing game for tournament considerations that week.
1: Yeah, so that is, I mean, that is a, a pretty a pretty key point is like figuring out where the quarterbacks sit in relation to their running backs. So a, a, a good example this year is going to be Sam Darnold and the Panthers wide receivers, right? Because we have McCaffrey back in the pool. McCaffrey most weeks is going to be the most expensive, the highest projected, the most owned player at the position, especially if there's like, oh, a jam 3K wide receiver this week, a jam 4K running back this week, then it's going to set up very well for McCaffrey to be in those lineups and Darnold, you know, adds a little bit with his legs. They have that really condensed passing tree. He would be a really good example. Um, Let's think like the, the giants, right. If Saquon Barkley is healthy, he would be uh, Daniel Jones, Kenny Galladay, Darius Slayton, Sterling Shepard, those guys, you know, slates where the running backs are very highly projected. The team has a relatively maybe even just like a fine total, like 24, 25, uh, those are, those are great single entry three max leverage spots for, for yeah, tournaments. Yeah,
2: definitely. And then the, the other piece that I'm thinking about this year, I didn't really do it last year. The analysis in the offseason showed that I should have. And then I just kind of ignored it because I was pretty set on double stacking with pass catchers. And um, especially if I was pivoting off of like a chalk running back onto the pass catchers, but with Tennessee and Minnesota specifically, Derrick Henry actually went off in the games that Tannehill went off. So a lot of those games were games that shot out back and forth and 57% of Tannehill's ceiling games. Derrick Henry also put up 20 plus points. Dalvin Cook did the same thing in 60% of Cousins' big games. Some of that is easier to reconcile with Cook because he is involved in the passing game. He can still get, you know, six to eight targets depending on the week. But I was pretty surprised with Henry. It is the second straight year that it's happened though. And so I think one of the things I'll be thinking about in larger fields or the lower dollar, you know, three max where it's a bigger field size is trying to mix in some of those onslaughts where you're getting three or four guys from the same offense.
1: And, and you can do it on narrow offenses. And it's, I mean, it's actually true that Henry and Tannehill positively correlate because when, the Titans win. They tend when the Titans like get the fantasy numbers. They all tend to do it, right? Like AJ Brown, Derrick Henry, Corey Davis, Tannehill, are Like all get there in a game.
2: Yeah. So that's yeah. that was one of like the one of the things I'm thinking through, and then I think the other thing is some of the the when you have an alpha wide receiver like Devonte Adams, DeAndre Hopkins, like when you're when you're playing with those guys like whether or not you're going to single or double stack the quarterbacks, or do you just avoid the quarterback? Because if it's all going to one receiver, then you can find like a different roster construction and still get, you know, 60% of the passing offense.
1: If I am playing a quarterback who gets gonna
2: single stack Kyler this year, would you single stack Rogers?
1: No, no, I would never, I would never single stack Rodgers. I would never single stack Kirk cousins. I would never single stack Matt Stafford. Uh, any, any quarterback who can get 30, any quarterback who can get 30 with zero rushing production with zero points via rushing or via receiving the, the scenario, like Devonte Adams, I actually think we're going to look back at his 2020 season as like this crazy outlier where they basically used him as the goal back. Like I, I anticipate him scoring something more like 10 or 11 touchdowns this season which like, that's how he's projected. But like yeah. everyone kind of in their minds is like, that's bullshit. He's scoring. Yeah. 15. like he's,
2: They think it's 10 or 11 over the course of the season sounds good. But then like, if he doesn't score in a given week, people are going to riot.
1: <laughs> right. Exactly. And so, and again, very micro, but like, you know, the beats are all talking about how good Marquez vault scaling looks. Tanya scored all these touchdowns last year. Tanya actually a great example of like, why you should just be throwing darts on random secondary guys. If I, if I recall correctly, He had a three touchdown game when it wasn't really clear that he was a thing yet. Like he had been playing, but didn't have a huge receiving role. Demarcus Robinson has done this with the Chiefs. Uh, I was uh, Mahomes had a four touchdown game against the Raiders in 2019 where Tyreek and Kelsey didn't score, right? And like, sure that that maybe that literally happens once every two years for the Chiefs where that element happens. But in the occasion where that does happen, you have a one percent owned Demarcus Robinson. And you have all this leverage on, you know, Kelsey tends to be super popular on DraftKings specifically, a little bit less so on FanDuel, but Kelsey tends to be super popular on most GPP slate. Like, he's generally the most owned tight end on the average DK slate, and you're just getting all this leverage off of of Kelsey teams.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, And then I think the other place potential opportunity I saw when looking through the stacking data from last year is... um, it can be frustrating for season long. It can be frustrating for DFS as well, but finding offenses and passing offenses to stack when there are multiple receiving options. Cause over the course of a season, the offenses of the Pittsburgh Steelers, Cincinnati Bengals, and San Francisco 49ers may distribute the ball pretty evenly between the three primary targets in each of those offenses. But in the individual game, a lot of times you're going to still see two of those guys take 55, 60% of the targets And because of the distribution, a lot of those players will be projected similarly coming in. I think the ceiling on those guys is all pretty high. The ownership usually gets depressed a little bit. And so I think coming into this year, Pittsburgh, um, Cincinnati, and San Francisco are three of the offenses that I want to attack in larger field tournaments.
1: Yeah, just and this is something you can mine from like seasonal fantasy football data is like when a team has all these wide receivers going really close to each other in ADP that will kind of semi-reflect how the DFS market will think about it. And I actually can even give an example uh, for week one. Uh, I I feel very confident in the fact that Marvin Jones is going to be the Jacksonville Jaguars chalk wide receiver. He is 3,600. Uh, that's already like, that's already spot. They're playing against the Texans. Shark is 5,800. LaVisca Chenault is 5,000. Like I would imagine Marvin Jones will be close to the highest zone. I mean, maybe Elijah Moore also, uh, James Crowder is COVID so maybe not going to play in week one, but like, that's just, that is just an obvious spot where you play the two guys who are more expensive. At at uh, you know, I mean, you could you could probably get overweight on LaVisca if you played them on like 12% of your teams or whatever. And because people are not certain how that will shake out. Um, also attacking the rookies earlier in the year. So, like, and this is even a week one leverage spot, right? Everyone's gonna play Elijah Moore against Carolina, but are people gonna play Terrace Marshall Jr. against the Jets? Like, probably he'll be half as owned as Elijah Moore. Like, people have literally been tweeting about Elijah Moore as a play since pricing came out a month ago.
2: Yeah, there was definitely some possibility he wasn't going to end up popular if Crowder was active, because I think it's pretty easy to sell yourself a story of an ease into the offense for a rookie. But uh, if Crowder ends up inactive due to COVID, then I think all bets are off. Um, You're likely going to see, you know, chalk in week one, I think earlier in the season, it's always going to gravitate towards two or three guys at each position, because there will be some guys that emerge as clear values based on training camp reports and the pricing structure. And I think um, those are definitely going to be some of the guys that you'll have to wade through this year. I'd say Marquez Callaway probably is another interesting decision for week one, because I do think he'll be one of the other highest owned guys with, you know, Michael Thomas out, Jameis at quarterback, and then what Callaway did in the one half that he played with Jameis during the the last preseason
1: game. Yeah. I mean, I guess the, the point I just wanted to illustrate as a whole is that Specifically with the elite quarterback teams, right? So you know Rodgers, Brady, Mahomes, uh, even even Josh Allen. There just is value in double stacking and including the cheap guys who could get a zero on any given week, but also like just because of the quarterback they play with. And you are uh, you're by by playing the quarterback, you're already saying, I think this guy can have four hundred and four. Yeah,
2: yeah. The Bills another great example, right? Like we we know that. Allen and Diggs right that one of the highest correlation stacks that you could find last year but i don't think it's immediately clear whether or not Cole Beasley Manny Sanders, Gabe Davis will you know be the secondary target uh, was Beasley last year but um, offseason stuff there a little bit and i don't think we know what the rotations will look like and so it's going to be hard to project one of those guys as a clear wide receiver too despite the fact that like they'll definitely have that upside during week one of the NFL season
1: yeah what are chalk spots that intuitively you try to work away from um the, the, so you go first
2: yeah i mean I, I think the easiest one is probably like for years is working away from the chalk wide receiver or the chalk tight end because a lot of times the opportunities are limited um usually they're if it's a Alpha chalk, it's like an eight or eight to 12 target guy with one to two red zone targets a week. Um, if it's a value chalk, it might be a six target guy whose median stat line is like six the, to 60.
1: The value wide receiver chalk is the one that I have no problem fading. Like Marvin Jones week one, if I get burnt by Marvin Jones week one, so be it. Like here, here lies Davis. He was buried by Marvin Jones, scoring four touchdowns on f- five targets or whatever. Those are. And, and also it's about the quality of the pivot. Like if there's one obvious um, lineup construction for single entry or three max for a given week. So like, there's what there's uh, one cheap running back fill in, right? Like running back X fills in for running back Y who got injured. Then, you know, Alvin Kamara is not on the slate and Christian McCaffrey is, and there, everyone is playing, zacker it's a tight end or whatever and then there's also 4700 seven hundred dollar wide receiver that projects to be five percent more owned than every other wide receiver under five thousand that's like the most obvious spot to like you can play these other plays that are highly owned and then move off there
2: yeah yeah i think the other spot That I tried to actively work in because every week the simulations that Andrew Barron does um, over at Daily Roto would show that running backs are typically going over rostered, at least as far as it relates to their optimal lineup percentage, which I would just caveat that's intended for the lottery style tournaments, the largest field tournaments where you really do need close to the optimal. And so I think trying to work away from the running back chalk is something I actively tried to do a little bit more last year. That's why I tried to pivot sometimes in those same games to the passing game stacks and just capture the touchdown variance. Um, But I, I think the the easy and the right answer is definitely like the, the wide receivers and tight ends, value wide receivers, yeah. receivers and tight ends. And DST I, too.
1: Oh yeah, D, I mean, that's, yes. Do, never play the most high owned defense. I don't, like they could be playing a Pop Warner team. Just like, it's, it's the most obvious and most variant spot. Like if there's ever a chalk $2,800 defense that's like actually a spot to maybe enter in more fees that week, like at more contests. If you ever think a defense is going to be that owned, because if that defense gets two and you get, you pick some other random defense that gets 10.
2: Yeah. Or you like, happen to stumble on the 18 from yes. someone it's, yeah. it's,
1: it's huge. Um, I will say I very rarely fight back against the 50% owned backup running back. Like it's a pretty rare situation where I'm like, yeah, I'm not playing sony michelle filling in for daryl henderson this week i'm not playing damian williams filling in for david montgomery it's like extremely rare for me
2: yeah and i, I think that's one of the areas where the the content in the industry is over geared towards DraftKings a little bit a lot of times the backs who do end up popping there are maybe guys who are going to get workload in both the passing game and the rushing game on on FanDuel like touchdowns definitely matter more and usually these guys aren't entering into 28-point team total spots, and so I think it's a little bit easier there where, like, you're going to need your backs to score two touchdowns, and it's a lot easier to sell yourself a story on the guy failing to do that than maybe it is on him if he's really getting, like, a 22-touch workload on DK, including a passing game role. So another reason where m and on FanDuel, I think, is a pretty interesting consideration.
1: Yeah, uh, and and actually, by the way, I think fading the, the chalky running back is, like, it's not good on DK to me in general, but it's like terabat bad on FanDuel. Like you you get guys, you get guys who are
2: I guess like at the end of the day, there's always an ownership level where you should be willing to consider fading somebody, right?
1: Okay. The week Taysom Hill was a tight end on FanDuel. So what... I
2: like I think our analysis showed he should have been like 60% owned and he was only gonna be like fifty five percent or so it was like well, he was higher
1: than that. Oh, he ended up he ended up being higher, but I didn't I I played Did my you cash... lock him? Yeah. Yeah, because I I locked him because I thought he should be a hundred percent owned. Yeah, I, I thought that the correct uh, ownership number for him, and, and I didn't even mme on Fanduel last year, but I mme that week just because I like if eight percent of people faded him and he got twenty, he had I think got twenty six that week or whatever. Yeah. I mean he outscored every other tight end by ten points, and and, and I th- I sued I sue I actually saw that as a spot where the game theory bros were going to over galbrain themselves. And like uh, this happens in college football DFS too, where there'll be like a quarterback who's project or preseason DFS. We just had this example three weeks ago. Nathan Peterman was the only quarterback on the slate who was going to play all four quarters. And he had played all four quarters the week before we knew he was playing all four quarters. And Still, because the, ga- the game theory bros are game theory, and he was only about like 60% owned in contests, and he outscored every other quarterback by like seven, I think. And that was a spot where I was like, I, I was sitting there making my team like, should I, even- should I even try to do this? Like, should I even try to Galbrain off of him? And I was like, no, I'm just going to do it. And I view the backup running backs on FanDuel very similarly. On, on DK, because those guys can get game scripted out, like it happened to Alexander Madison last year, right? Dalvin cook missed one game. He got game scripted out. I think he got like six um, and that hurts more on DraftKings than it does on, on FanDuel. the way the scoring shakes out. But I, I just think it's bad most of the time. Yeah,
2: that's fair. Um, two places I, or I guess two of the other GPP talking points that felt like were important. Um, I guess they're both associated with late swap, but one is late swap that occurs after the contests are locked. The other, I guess I would call it late swap. Like most people are building their lineups before Sunday at 1130 in the morning. They might update them afterwards, but a lot of people have built lineups by that point. Inactives come out. I do think, especially in these lower stakes contests, that if it is truly a surprise inactive, a surprise situation, like when Tony Pollard got the start last year, when Zeke was a late surprise inactive, those situations are still going under rostered. If it's a if it's a situation where there's been like a week of buildup into a potential inactive and all the content's been around it, then those are ending up pretty popular. So I think in the low stakes stuff, if it is truly a surprise situation, you're paying attention, you should react pretty aggressively to that news. In higher stakes, people are gonna pay attention, they're adjusting to that stuff.
1: And I can even I can even give an example of that um, where. I was planning on a late game and active and it ended up working out for me. And my team would have been dust if it, if it didn't work out, like I would have dusted off my hundred dollar entry or whatever, but uh, Chris Carson game time decision week eight for the Seattle Seahawks last year. And Carlos Hyde was already out. Travis Homer was banged up. So DJ Dallas was the only running back that they could play. He was 4k. We didn't, we, we, he was a uh, Carlos or Chris Carson was a true game time decision. He ends up not playing. It was against the 49ers. Uh, D.J. Dallas scores two touchdowns in that game, ends up being you know, in the nuts. You needed him. And that is an element that people are just not willing to do. I mean, people don't use late swap enough as it is, especially on their teams that are dead. I actually feel like that's well-worn territory at the time. But you don't very often hear on tout shows people talking about actually having a really suboptimal team at lock waiting for the late injury news um, like planning on it and not really having a backup plan.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, it's in a way, it's almost like playing with position and poker too. And just even like a tiebreaker should go to a 4 PM guy over a 1 PM guy. Anyways, if you're really torn between like a one-off on the spot, because you have this additional news about how your roster stands, if you're first place, this is your last guy, you can just truly truly play the best play and leave them in there. Whereas if you need to make up ground a little bit, you start to understand what that looks like, how it relates to min cash lines versus the first place lines. And so, um, I definitely think some takeaways I had from last season were especially in low stakes enemy to react aggressively to late news. And then across all contests to try to build with some late swap strategy built into the lineup ahead of time.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. Which is like that. I if you are if you are having questions coming into the season, or just uh, largely wanting to try to be a little bit better or expand your game, I would think I would start thinking about late swap this year as like something you want to use a little bit more strategically. Because a lot of the questions people ask are like, "How do I do my correlations? How much should I be stacking?" But like that is and and. and it's. I mean, I can't even imagine trying to set up all these swaps for MME. Like, it's a nightmare. I I have done it, and it's incredibly difficult. But if you're just doing this single entry uh, three max route, it's much easier to to master. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um. All right. Are we are we good? Do we have any other strategy stuff that we want to talk about?
2: Oh, I mean, I think that's a pretty good kind of a pretty good blueprint for thinking about the season. Um. Definitely trying to be active about how I'm approaching. Which contests, separating that into contests that are filled with more casual players versus DFS regs, and then trying to correlate those accordingly. So, um, we do got a promo code. If you guys want to use the tools over at Daily Roto, you can enter the promo NFL21 for 10% off. But, like we talked about, we'll have the optimizers, range of outcomes, projections, floor and ceiling projections, the um, probabilities of each player to land in the optimal lineup projected ownership and leverage scores on top of all the content that we do. So there's plenty of stuff there to get, get your feet wet.
1: Yeah. All right, everyone. It's going to be a great season. Gilcast is coming back. Colin showdown shows are coming back. Uh, We are going to have a new program on the show uh, on the, on the podcast feed this year that we'll be able to tell you guys a little bit more about next week. And uh, yeah, I wish you all the luck in your, your final best balls,
0: Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application. The
1: legends are true. Overwhelming power. Sauce of destiny. Yes.